For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject the new moon, a spiritual picture of rebirth and restoration. This is part two of the series. Did Yeshua teach that you should follow the Pharisees, which means follow rabbinic Judaism or the interpretation of Orthodox Judaism? Well, initially, when you look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 3 in the English, that is on the surface what it appears to say. But if you cross-reference with these other things that we've been looking at, when he said, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees, that the two don't link up with each other. So let's examine this more closely. In Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3, Then spake Yeshua to the multitude and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, sitting in Moses' seat means they are making judgments regarding the Torah. Were the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin doing that? Yes, they were. That's a statement of fact. They were doing that. Then, here's the verse in question. It says, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that you observe and do. Apparently, he's saying that you should follow the Pharisees. But earlier, he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The two seems to be contradictory statements. Then he goes on to say, But do not after their works, for they say and do not. So he apparently is saying, Yes, follow what they rule, but don't do what they do. That's what it appears to be saying. But is that really how we need to understand what is being said there? In order to unravel what this is really saying, we need to go to a original source or a source that is based upon original publications. It is believed that the original Gospel of Matthew was written in Hebrew and it was preserved by a 14th century Spanish Jew named Shem Tov, Ibn Shapra. There is a book published entitled The Gospel of Matthew According to a Primitive Hebrew Text by George Howard, which contains the text of the Shem Tov Hebrew Matthew. And this is referenced and made mentioned in the book The Hebrew Yeshua versus the Greek Jesus by Nehemiah Gordon on pages 37 and 38 of the book. Looking at the book The Hebrew Yeshua versus the Greek Jesus by Nehemiah Gordon. By the way, Nehemiah Gordon is a Orthodox Jew that does not believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, and he personally questions the validity of following the rabbinical oral interpretation. In his book in chapter 8, he goes on 
to say regarding that in the King James translation in the Greek of Matthew in chapter 23 and verse 2, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do ye not after their works, for they say and do not. He's saying, yes, the King James appears to say this. The Greek text appears that that is what should be the meaning of the verse. But he says, if you look at that text in the Shem Tov Hebrew, that that is not really what it says. There is one letter in Hebrew that apparently the, the scribes or the translators missed the one letter which changed the meaning of the translation. First he gives what is shown as what it says in the Shem Tov Hebrew which translate into English this understanding. The Pharisees and sages sit in the seat of Moses. Therefore all that he says to you that is Moses. Whatever Moses tells you diligently do but according to their reforms that is the interpretation of rabbinical Judaism do not do because they talk but they do not do so in the Shem Tov Hebrew Matthew it says that Yeshua is saying you're to do what Moses said not according to the Pharisaic oral interpretation of all of how you follow the commandment this is what happened in Acts chapter 15 and this is consistent with Yeshua not washing his hands when he's sitting with the Pharisees and said watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees Yeshua is going to be the judge over this judicial court during the messianic era in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3 it says many people shall go and say come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In the first century, there was a Beit Din, which is referred to as the Sanhedrin, and they, in the first century, made determination and announcement of the new moon. Let's understand how they operated and did things for the sake of our learning. I'm reading from Mishnah Torah, chapter 1, page 60, of the laws concerning the sanctification of the moon by Moses Mamadi. The sanctification of the new month, by contrast, has been entrusted to the court. The new month does not begin until it has been sanctified by the court, and it is the day that they establish as the new moon. That is implied by the verse, this month shall be for you, i.e. the testimony concerning the new moon will be entrusted to you, as they interpret it. How was this done? Maimonides explains in Mishnah Torah, the laws concerning the sanctification of the new moon, and chapter 1 section 3 the first night when the moon is sighted in the west after being hidden in the beginning of the month afterward 29 days are counted from that day if the moon is sighted on the night of the 30th the 30th day will be Rosh Hodesh of the following month if it is not sighted Rosh Hodesh will be on the 31st day and the 30th day will be included in the previous month there is no need to sight the moon on the 31st night whether or not the moon is sighted the new moon begins that night for there are no lunar months longer than 30 days in other words if it hasn't been cited after 30 days we can go on because that's the maximum amount of time that there is to determine the new moon from one month to the next month continuing on about how this was done in section 6 of chapter 1 the high court would make calculations in a manner resembling the calculations of the astronomers who know the location of the stars
stars and their paths and their orbit. They would perform careful research to determine whether or not they would be able to sight the moon at the appropriate time, that is the 30th night. If the judges determined that it was possible to sight the new moon, they would sit waiting for witnesses to come and testify throughout the entire 30th day. If witnesses came and the court examined their testimony according to law and verified the truth of their statement, the court would sanctify the new month. If the new moon was not sighted and the witnesses did not come, they would complete the 30th day, thus making the month full. If according to their calculations, the judges knew that it was impossible for the moon to be sighted, they would not sit in session on the 30th day, nor would they wait for the arrival of witnesses because their testimony thus would not be valid. If witnesses came, they would know that they were false witnesses or that if clouds appeared for them in a form resembling the moon, but it was not the real moon. The only testimony that is acceptable with regard to the sighting of the new moon is that of two adult males, and that is given in Mishnah Torah, the laws for sanctifying the new moon by Momomides, in chapter 2, page 64, chapter 2, section 1. What ultimately happened is that messengers were sent to distant places to announce that the new moon had been seen. This is specified for us in Mishnah Torah, laws concerning the sanctification of the new moon, in chapter 3, section 8. Originally, when the court would sanctify the new moon, they would light bonfires on the mountaintop to notify the people in distant places. When the Samaritans began conducting themselves in a debased manner and would light bonfires at the wrong time to confuse the people, the sages instituted the practice of having messengers journey to notify the people. In other words, the Samaritans were being mischievous and wanted to send a false communication to antagonize those in Jerusalem from the Sanhedrin. Now, in Mishnah Torah, the laws for sanctifying the new moon, chapter 1, section 7, Maimonides explains it's the duty of the Sanhedrin to sanctify the new moon. It is the positive commandment of the Torah for the court to calculate and determine whether or not the new moon will be sighted, to examine witnesses until the moon can be sanctified, and to send forth messengers to inform the remainder of the people on which day the new moon, or Rosh Hodesh, was observed so that they will know the day. Reviewing, how did the Sanhedrin determine the new moon? They would calculate when the new moon should come, so they would be in the right time frame of knowing when to expect a witness who would testify that they saw the new moon, and then they ultimately sent out messengers to inform the people that the new month had started. In Mishnah Torah, Laws for Sanctifying the New Moon, Chapter 1, Section 5, Maimonides explains that individuals cannot unilaterally declare the sighting of the new moon to establish the new moon. The establishment of Rosh Hodesh, the new moon, based on the sighting of the moon, is not the province of every individual, but the Sabbath is the province of every individual, and for the Sabbath, you're to understand and know when it is by counting six days and then resting on the following seventh day. The weekly Sabbath is mentioned as being every seven days. The weekly Sabbath is a remembrance of creation and redemption. We can see the connection that the weekly Sabbath is a remembrance of creation from Exodus chapter 31 verses 16 and 17. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. So the Sabbath is linked with four and six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day 
he rested and was refreshed. So the Sabbath is linked to the seven days of creation and specifically the seventh day that the God of Israel rested. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15, there's a connection of the Sabbath to the historical Egyptian redemption. And remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, because he brought you out of Egypt, therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The sun and the moon are given for signs and for seasons. Genesis chapter 1 verse 14 and 16. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons. The word seasons is the Hebrew word moed, which means a set time, an appointed time. Let them be for appointed times, for days, and for years. And God made two great light, the greater light, which is the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, which is the moon, to rule the night. And he made stars also. The moon was given to determine the festivals. We can see this from Psalm 104, verse 1, 5, and 19, which says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be moved forever. He appointed the moon for seasons. The word there is moed. He appointed the moon for appointed times. The sun knows his going down. In the Mishnah Torah, in the laws for sanctifying the new moon in chapter 2, section 10, Maimonides explains that the new moon determines the date of the annual festivals. He writes, we are required to calculate the dates of the festivals based on the day that they were sanctified as the beginning of the new month. Only the Sanhedrin can sanctify the new moon or establish leap years as it says in Mishnah Torah for the laws for sanctifying the new moon in chapter 5 section 1. All the statements made previously regarding the prerogative to sanctify the new moon because of the sighting of the moon and to establish a leap year to reconcile the calendar or because of a necessity apply to the Sanhedrin in the land of Israel. For it is they alone or a court of judges possessing the qualifications to do so that hold sessions in Eretz Israel and that was granted authority by the Sanhedrin who may authorize these decisions. Ultimately, from the Sanhedrin that was in the first century, Hillel II was the last president of the Sanhedrin and during his days, Rome prevented the Sanhedrin from declaring the new moon. Therefore, in the fourth century, which is around the year 360, Hillel created a fixed mathematical calendar, which is used today by the Jewish community. And I'm going to call this fixed calendar an exile calendar because it was just set up for exile. It's not meant to be a permanent or eternal calendar system structure. During the Messianic era, the Messiah will reestablish a biblical judicial court. He has to be if he's ruling and reigning from Jerusalem in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3. At that time, the new moon will be declared as it says in scripture and it will be based upon visual sightings as in the days of old. The reason why an exile calendar is used today is because there is no Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. This is explained by Moses Maimonides in Mishnah Torah chapter 5 verse 1, the laws for sanctifying the new moon. When, however, there is no Sanhedrin in Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, we establish the monthly calendar and institute leap year solely according to the fixed calendar that is followed now. The new moon 
is not visually sighted with the exile calendar because what Hillel set up was a mathematical calculation. So if it's mathematically calculated, there is not a need to visually sight, which is what is explained or rendered by Moses Maimonides in chapter 5, section 2 of the Laws for Sanctifying the New Moon. When there is a Sanhedrin, the monthly calendar is established according to the visual sighting of the moon. When there is no Sanhedrin, the monthly calendar is established according to the fixed calendar that we follow now and the sighting of the moon, that is the visual sighting, is of no consequence. When the fixed calendar is followed, there are times when the day established as new moon will be the day on which the new moon actually does appear and there are times when the sighting will either precede it or follow it by a day. So in other words, the fixed exile calendar is not 100% accurate on the appearance of the new moon. How does the lunar calendar get synchronized with the solar calendar because the solar year is longer than using a lunar calendar system. In the Mishnah Torah in chapter 1, section 2, Naimamides explains how this is done using the exile calendar, the calculated calendar. How much longer is a solar year than a lunar year? Approximately 11 days. Therefore, to correct the discrepancy between the lunar and the solar calendars, when these additional days reach the sum of 30 or slightly more, slightly less, an additional month, a leap month, is added, causing the year to include 13 months when this happens. That then is called a full year. This is necessary because it's impossible to have a year with 12 months and an odd number of days, interpreting Numbers chapter 28 verse 14, speaking of months of the year. On this verse, the sages comment, you count the month of a year, but not the days of the year. So when you institute a leap month, the month that is instituted is Adar. So there's Adar 1 and Adar 2 in a year that has a leap month. In Mishnah Torah, the laws concerning the sanctification of the new moon, chapter 4, section 1, Maimonides explains, a leap year is a year that includes an additional month. The extra month that is added is always Adar, and thus the year contains two Adarim, the first Adar and the second Adar. Why is this month added? Because of the season of spring, so that Passover will fall then, as implied by Deuteronomy 16.1. Take heed the month of spring. This command can be interpreted to mean, take heed that this month falls in the spring season. Were the month of Adar not to be added from time to time, there are times, if that wasn't done, when Passover would ultimately, in the course of time, fall in the summer, and at times, ultimately, when it would be in the fall. The exile calendar is a 19-year cyclical calendar. Maimonides explains this, Mishnah Torah, in chapter 6, sections 10 and 11. The fifth calendar is structured in a 19-year cycle, including seven leap years and 12 ordinary years. Thus, in such a 19-year cycle, the months are lunar months in the years or solar years. The seven leap years in each cycle should be the following. 3, 6, 8, 11, 14, 17, and 19. So how do the rabbis teach that we are to celebrate the new moon? They rule. Individuals cannot unilaterally declare the new moon without the authority of the Sanhedrin. The determination of the new moon establishes when the annual festivals will be observed. The weekly Sabbath is every seven days. Hillel II in the 4th century established an exile calendar which will be used until the Messianic era. Once the Messianic era comes, then that calendar will no longer be used. And we as believers in the Messiah understand that Messiah will establish a biblical judicial court which will declare the new moon according to Torah in the days of old. Now, let's look at the new moon and the celebration of the new 
moon in the scriptures. We see that what's associated with new moon is there are offerings that are made in the temple. Numbers chapter 28 verses 11 through 13 says, And in the beginning of your months you shall offer a burnt offering unto the Lord, two young bullocks and one ram, seven lambs of the first year without spot, and three-tenths deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil, for one bullock and two-tenths deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil for one ram, and a several-tenths deal of flour mingled with oil for a meat offering unto one lamb, for a burnt offering of a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. Numbers 28 verses 14 and 15, and their drink offering shall be a half of a hen of wine unto a bullock, and a third part of hen unto a ram, and a fourth part of a hen unto a lamb. This is the burnt offering of every month throughout the months of the year. And one kid of the goats for a sin offering unto the Lord shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. David celebrated the new moon. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 verse 18 and verse 24 it says, Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon and you shall be missed because your seat will be empty. So David hid himself in the field and when the new moon was come, the king sat him down to eat meat. Ezra and Nehemiah celebrated the new moon upon the return from Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah chapter 10 verses 28 and 29 says, And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands under the Torah of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's Torah, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Master and His judgment and His statute. We can see this still. Numbers chapter 10, verse 33. For the showbread and for the continual meat offering and for the continual burnt offering of the Sabbath of the new moon, for the set feasts and for the holy things and for the sin offerings to make an atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. The new moon will be celebrated during the Messianic era. We can see this from Ezekiel chapter 46, verse 1, verse 3, and verse 6. Thus says the Lord God, The gate of the inner court that looks toward the east shall be shut the six working days, but on the Sabbath it shall be opened, and in the day of the new moon it shall be opened. Likewise, the people of the land shall worship at the door of this gate before the Lord in the Sabbath and in the new moon. Ezekiel 46, verse 6. And in the day of the new moon it shall be a young bullock without blemish and six lambs and a ram they shall be without blemish. The new moon will be celebrated during the time of the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah 66 verses 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. How is the new moon celebrated in the Bible? In the temple, various sacrifices are offered on the new moon. David celebrated new moon with a meal although celebrating the new moon with a meal is not specifically mentioned in the first five books. The new moon will be celebrated during the messianic era in the days of the new heaven and the new earth. Now we want to look at some scriptures of how the celebration of the new moon is linked with celebrating the Sabbath. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 23 and he said wherefore will you go to him today it is neither new moon nor Sabbath and she said it shall be well. 
well. In First Chronicles chapter 23, verses 27 and 28 and verse 31, it is written, Well, that's going to conclude part two of the series on the subject, The New Moon, a spiritual picture of rebirth and restoration. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts in order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others. We are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.